0: You're listening to Brain Fuzz, the arts, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew return with this first episode of Season 4. An art review is reviewed. Drop ceiling is considered. A trip is recalled, recent art shows are discussed, and Matthew takes the audio pick of the day. This is Episode 67. Be sure to visit brainfuzzpodcast.com for show notes and links to resources discussed today. And now, here are Joe Kumusa and Matthew White.
1: Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. A little longer than anticipated our break, but. Who's counting? Right, who's counting? If I remember correctly, we left with a. Uh summer reading assignment i don't know if you did did you do the reading? I did not do the reading and it was my idea <laughs> <laughs> we had uh We had a good discussion though about various uh pieces of of writing and and then for various reasons, we had to take an extended break. But getting back in the groove, we did uh do a trip to uh, New York. And... Fact-finding mission to New York. Some Some fact-finding.
2: Whirlwind
1: and all you can cram in in three days. Following up with uh, BrainFust fellow Craig Jannin. And getting to meet some of the people at Freight and Volume. And had a good time doing that. And then just packed as many other sites that we could in that time. And... Posted on Instagram the uh, one of our new favorite bar picks. That
2: was a cool spot. one of those, of course, could, couldn't couldn't uh, stay long. No. To make a make a talk.
1: It was just down from Bitforms, and that made for that made for a great afternoon.
2: Yeah, I'd like to do a little more recon in that bar. That was a nice space. Yes, it very, had very inviting. Yeah.
1: The mix of uh, audio an uh, audio file uh, vintage audio file. So Mike
2: all right, I gotta just jump like what is how long is this gonna last in terms of like the natural wood, seventies electronics, plants and or motorcycles? <laughs> That's true. But, you know, I what what, what right. who's like, hey, coffee and motorcycles, they go together. <laughs> so <laughs> But what's next? Seriously, is it going yeah, to be no, like yeah. the maximal shag carpeting and browns and beige? Like, I don't... I'm trying to anticipate
1: you, you what's coming. Something you said a long time ago is you asked a similar question. We were... I don't know where we were. And, and you said, what's the next thing? Drop ceiling? And I think you may be right. I just pulled a bunch of drop ceiling down. So I think that now's the time for it to come back. How do you feel about that? I've noticed... Seeing, uh... I think I was looking
2: at an Apartmento magazine, mm-hmm. a great, uh, great magazine, but um, I'm seeing a lot of exposed drop ceiling, like the, all that infrastructure, and personally, I find it's kind of clunky. Yeah, I don't... I, don't. It's, I find it distracting, I should say, yes. but um, then again, it's probably a nightmare to get all that out of there.
1: yeah there's some attractive drop ceiling out there. There are new new options, but um I don't know. I don't know if that's the that I think it's time though for it to be the new thing because I've just pulled it down. So so you've been uh in like Siberia in terms
2: of building building out, renovating a new studio, a new studio
1: complex. More 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 it was it's been more of a time investment than even I expected, even though I mean I knew what I was I knew that it was gonna be a lot of work, and it has surprised me on several levels between inflation, uh, labor shortages, supply chain issues, but we're getting there. I see the light at the end of the tunnel.
2: Oh, it just creeps. And then, you know, when you think about whenever you're driving by something being built, that's a house or a commercial, and you see how long it takes. Framing is like overnight. Yeah. You're like, wow, that thing's. And then there's yep. the slow creep to actually. Yep. So uh, I commend you for hanging tough. It's going to be amazing once you get all your stuff in there. But uh, having survived that process, and we are in the, we're in the, quote, new studio.
1: This so, is where we last, was it? I think it might have been. And yeah. we probably had a similar discussion the last yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> that's all you can talk about yeah. is... Uh, Woo, I know. It's a a first world problem. But on the trip to New York, one thing that uh, did not happen that I'm hoping will happen very shortly is I wanted to see this uh, Rific Anadol show at MoMA. And I was reminded recently by this review. By the way, we've just learned that you can actually talk about shows that you haven't seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. This whole time we've not been talking about things that we didn't see. But, <laughs> but this, this piece of criticism, Joe. Who's the writer? Ben Davis. Do you remember Ben Davis? Yes, Ben Meyer. Do we meet him? Yeah. He was at contemporary? I think so. We've met him, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, you, what do you know about Ruffick and all? Uh, next to nothing. Okay. Well, Ben Davis lays it all out in a piece of writing entitled, An Extremely Intelligent Lava Lamp. Riffic Anadol's AI art extravaganza at MoMA is fun, comma, just don't think about it too hard. And the Byline? Byline? we need to talk about willful misreading of dystopia in the art tech conversation. Oof. All right, so let me say this. I, <laughs> this is one of the best pieces of criticism I've read in a while. And entertaining, I'm not necessarily agreeing with everything. Sure, okay. Uh, but what he lays out here is fascinating. Let's, let's, I'll, I'll read a bit All from right, the review Terrific Anadol, unsupervised, is being touted as artificial intelligence's triumphant arrival in the museum art canon. So I went to see the splashy installation currently in the Museum of Modern Art's ground floor annex with a mission to get a glimpse of what MoMA-approved AI art promises or threatens for the future. (laughs) And it goes into um, uh, Anadol's, um, Anadol's work. Anadol was known for many years um, more for interactive public art commissions than for work in museums and galleries. He boasts collaborations and support from the likes of Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Google. In the recent past, his stock has dramatically soared, which makes sense given the fact that his work engages with three trends that have lately shaken up the art conversation. Immersive installation, NFTs, and generative AI. Unsupervised combines a bit of each. He uses a lot of words like blobby, shapes, miasmic, half-formed patterns. Hmm. And all of this is drawn from uh, MoMA's collection. Unsupervised is manifesting art-like images specifically inspired by some constellation of works in MoMA's collection. and The effect is pleasant. What it is not is anything like what MoMA says it is, an experience that reimagines the history of modern art and dreams about what might have been. And he did more into that, and then finally says, describing uh, his works that use AI to make generative art out of huge data sets like Unsupervised, Anadol speaks of them as akin to dreams or hallucinations, but the terminology, once more, mystifies what is going on. There is no emotional text to Anadol's endless animation at MoMA. At most, the installation conveys a generalized awe at the machine's superhuman capacity of visual analysis. The fact that the soundtrack is a kind of shapeless, droning synthesizer score that is almost a cliché in futuristic video work doesn't help. He says that he receives so much support along the way from the tech giants and indeed his positivity is probably an unstated condition of that support. In the last few years, I've noticed a pervasive and perverse rhetorical sleight of hand in the art tech conversation. Call it the willful misreading of dystopia. You hear technologists reference artworks that are meant as sci-fi cautionary tales, but weirdly, purely as positive design inspiration, divorced from their prophetic moral or ethical substance. The recently trendy idea of the metaverse is an obvious example. Anadol is a notable dystopian misreader. When he refers to his works as machine dreams and collective hallucinations, he often says his inspiration is Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. He goes on to say, Blade Runner is a melancholy work about the uprooted sense of self and collapsing sense of reality in a future where humanity and machine are no longer distinguishable. None of this seems to register within it all. Just the idea that machine-generated memories are cool. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then he goes on to tie a commercial interest in NFTs that MoMA is, uh, has, a, has, a, uh, has an interest in. Yeah, and that they're and that they're they're hosting the show, and so he starts to question the boundaries. He uses the word boundary between commercial and non-commercial, and how that is this is actually showing us the future in that regard, and that it's <laughs> it's bold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end, the, just the end. You know, the end is always the best in a, in one of these pieces. The last paragraph, sadly. The melting of commercial and non-commercial borders strikes me as more prophetic of what might be to come in art than any of the images summoned up by the machine in the gallery. (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing it, and what strikes me, first of all, I thought this was a good, an interesting piece of writing because there were so many places to jump off here. Again, I'm not saying I agree necessarily with it, haven't seen the show, but it's nice... (laughs) It's nice to um, it it's nice to see someone take a position. I agree. Yeah. And 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 know what that position is as the reader, and then uh, and, and build a strong argument for it. And then when I look at the title, and this is what I'm most curious about, when you, when you see this line, an extremely intelligent lava lamp, um, the first, my first impression is what, so what if it's extremely intelligent lava lamp is that okay
2: why not i mean i'm thinking of how many times have you seen a show with say like a drawing machine yeah and it just is alone in the gallery and like and, and some people think that's amazing some people think oh it's you know it's it's devoid of concept and i mean hey you can't please everybody but uh I respect that someone took that much time and and thought to cobble together, but you know to put the stakes being like this is life or death and this this is gonna change everything or yeah. or, or it won't. They always have to have that <laughs> energy to the let it off. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, I don't know what the difference is or like what. How about when artists you know have someone else actually fabricate the work? I mean, the machine to me isn't the issue. Yeah. Because there's plenty of people that make, you know, process-driven work that the intellectual circles are going to look down at. There's no meaning. It's empty.
1: But it's still, it's still art. Well, so then I, I thought, well, he... he uh, ben does a good job here when he says that... Uh, no, it says that the show's... Do, uh, it says, Anadol trained a sophisticated machine learning model to interpret the publicly available data of MoMA's collection. The show's description explains. As the model walks through its conception of this vast range of works, it reimagines the history of modern art and dreams about what might have been and what might be to come. And it seems to me that he's hit the nail on the head when he says that the problem is in MoMA's messaging and description of it, which you and I have talked about. A lot of times we go to see work, and you see the description, and then you see the work, and it's totally disconnected. Right. Well, what does it seem like to you
2: in terms of their timing with this? They obviously don't want to miss it Yeah. in terms of NFT seem to be everywhere. Um, and obviously trying to obviously dig for a, a, a different audience, uh, always audience building.
1: Well, I wonder what the runway was for developing the show. Because you think, okay, there was a crypto uh, boom in 21, and then a lot of people lost some, some money. And for a lot of people, all of this just goes into one big bucket. Right, right. Whether it's NFT, AI, whatever. Let's just put it all in one big bucket. And in that regard, maybe that's what they were doing. But I wonder how far out the show was planned. That's a good
2: question. I would bet, though, with at least probably two years
1: so do, do you? what if MoMA just said what if they did message it as an intelligent lava lamp come see the intelligent lava lamp we're not gonna and there's, here's what we're doing that sounds more interesting to me personally yeah. you know like, <laughs> just the G whiz factor alone is enough right yeah
2: I mean I I guess I have no problem with the concept of like how who or what is creating because it, it is in the eye of the, the holder like it might be interesting it might not um, I'm just thinking of like good good old happy accidents like with in photography for me like you know unintended you know double exposures or just just bad photography that somehow actually winds up being interesting you know versus trying to plan it out um yeah so like what i'm kind of hearing through this is like that some you have to throw some art out unless it's completely uh you know justified by by rigor Mm -hmm. and uh I, i don't know I know if I care about that anymore in, in total like I just think it depends on on the type of work not everything has to be super conceptual I find it kind of refreshing I think everything is just overblown right now and everyone's trying so hard to be so smart and and it's just like I think that's a lot of artists let's face it I think in our very nature is to, to go against the go against the grain and
1: well I- Again, yeah, I go back to what if, what if, what if we didn't have to dress it up with words like reimagining the history of modern art? And st- seriously, that's a big. Oh yeah, I mean, that's- you know. So what is wrong with uh, just having a lava lamp? And I I went back to Authority and Freedom and something. uh, The book by Jed Perl, Authority and Freedom A Defense of the Arts, which we... um, So you were a big fan of this. I tell you what, this is an interesting read. It really is. I mean, the review was great. That's what kicked it off, for those
2: of you who may recall. and then uh, So I'm still going to have to get this and read it.
1: Uh, Well into the book, he has this to say... The desire to inhabit a time and place outside of time and place isn't new at all. This is where the arts come in. They've always been a time out of time and a place out of place. But they're also right here, right now. And I think with everything that we've had going on in our world and in our worlds the last few years, that's exactly what we need right now. So I don't know what is wrong with having an intelligent lava lamp. If it gives you a moment um, to, to value, to cherish.
2: Right. And those that want to, uh, I mean, I, I've not really paid much attention to the NFT uh, AI thing just because I don't have bandwidth for much mm-hmm. and um, and whether it's, again, a product of these times. But I mean, I think we all look for... Speaking about art things that you know either gonna feed us or educate whatever the whatever we need right? I mean it is kind of a and it's an indulgent thing Um, But like for instance when we were in New York, you know There's only so many hours in the day and just trying to get around the city So like to get up to MoMA wasn't possible and then you start thinking about you make those decisions You know like was it worth going for you like to go to the Whitney to see the hopper. Oh, yeah Yeah, you know yeah Um, and tons of crowds and that was my first trip since all the craziness, first time on an airplane, I think. No, but first trip back to New York, we had decisions to make, and there were certain shows that had to be seen. Wanted to, you know, wanted to see them, and then chanced upon a few things that, you know, I'd read about, and uh, so I guess long-winded uh, story here, but, you know, to me it's like, why can't all this exist? I mean, you look at how many museums there are in this country. I don't care from what, what Moma's, you know. Mm-hmm. do it sure mm-hmm. there's a pop there's I'm sure there's a huge population that's totally into this what is it with uh, you know And I'll throw myself in here I guess why are we all like trying to exert some kind of gatekeeping you know function or something you might not like something fine don't listen to it don't watch it don't look at it don't give it air you know but I, I don't know if it's just like a collective fatigue where we just want anything we don't like we want to banish or crush you know it seems. Like, does that make any sense? You know, I mean, I think yeah, no, it is coming from the yeah. political and all of that. But yeah. within yeah. art, I just see... There seems to be, like, no tolerance for a, other. It's it's
1: more like these are the current trends and play by these rules or... Are... Well, with so much supply, to so, so many images to uh, consume, things to absorb, uh, you, you don't necessarily have to have a reaction to everything. Or it's just not the time. Like, we've always yeah.
2: talked about, you know, there's there's... Even in a given day in New York, I remember some of the, really having to kind of regain a focus, like, okay, you're here now, I'm not feeling any of this, but mm-hmm. somehow I got to find a gear to, I mean, otherwise, I just might as well just leave. Like, for instance, some of the floors at the Whitney, you know, just kind of, um, mm-hmm. so it gets a bit
1: overwhelmed, and then, you know, then you slowly sink into it. What's uh, before we I don't want to leave that that Edward Hopper, you you had some interesting insights on that. Do I? Yeah, I don't know. i I was very pleased that uh, despite the
2: crowds, because uh, I mean, I think everyone is seen you know, a million images of Hopper, right? Probably I wouldn't say those are probably the most like embedded. You know, greeting cards, whatever. Yeah. Or rift upon, yeah. you know, the Nighthawks in the diner, that kind of thing. But um, but to see the drawings, the preparatory drawings for yeah. those just knocked me on my socks and, and um some some sketchbooks, I mean the planning that went into those. Yeah. Um, and I came away. The one thing that did kind of shed some light, which I hadn't really thought about before, but looking at those almost like stage sets, but the the sense of, like, a claustrophobia in those settings. You know, we're viewing, yeah, like, from, like, especially the city scenes, you're usually looking through a window at, like, you know, a couple or what have you. In a lot of cases, like, no doorknobs on the doors. It's like, to kind of, little oh, things yeah, like yeah, that, that you're yeah, just yeah. like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Again, was it, did you forget it, or was it literally just trying to, I don't know. Doors like really high, yeah, 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 like yeah. exaggerated yeah. proportions and that sort of thing. But uh, but you know, obviously, I I love the sense of narrative that he leaves open. You interpret, uh, and I think people love to just try to imagine what's going on in those people's heads. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't necessarily look happy mm-hmm. uh, often, but uh, but it was it was interesting to see. Um, but I think like you know. He gets compared to, like, Norman Rockwell, you know? I think it, that why that gets watered down, like, oh, because it, you know, like Rockwell, because he was a, quote, illustrator. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why, really, those are iconic images. Mm-hmm. Well done. And I think we're still kind of dancing around. Like, there's always this uh, snobby branding. And we all have to do it to some extent within our own artistic worlds, right? Um, but it is interesting. Alex Katz, another one. You know, people love him or hate him. A lot of... Uh, I think
1: a lot of people really like him,
2: but uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you think of uh, Hopper?
1: I enjoyed it. Just mainly from the process standpoint that you were just talking about. One of the interesting takeaways for me was the seeing the different... Um, you know more about this, far more than, about this than I, but the different... Uh, the colors and the vibrancy vibrancy of these colors that was interesting to me and something I would like to dig more into and you had some thoughts on
2: I just remember we were talking about like every, all those greens and browns like yeah. what was it it's like the 40s and the 50s seems like everything was like a, kind of a khaki but just I mean, some
1: of them the, some of them it seemed that they just popped oh yeah, yeah. and the preservation yeah. I mean obviously I, you
2: know I think that's one thing about you know there's maybe a little bit of a lack of uh, actual training, you know, to use materials properly. But, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he was
1: well uh, <laughs> well educated. So the, to veer into the institutional critique portion of this, I think that what was... Uh, oh, do you remember <laughs> being on the elevator and... Um, the members only? Elevator, oh, we were welcomed into the elevator a very large elevator right? and then the elevator opens and we leave we just go about our business on this particular floor and then we get back to the elevator and they welcome us in the elevator and then decide to ask us if we're member what are you members elite and dude i don't know elite status or some some sort of hierarchical thing and we weren't supposed to be on that floor because we didn't have the right, because that was some sort of preview. And uh, it, yeah, was, it's it ridiculous. No signage. It was enforced after the fact. There was absolutely no... <laughs> a, a mild wrist slapping. <laughs> yeah, no, there was just... Uh, we just got a look of disdain, I think, rather than any kind of real consequences.
0: And now, the Brain Fuzz audio pick of the day.
1: I don't... I'm not going to do an interrogation of this piece of work, but I will remind you, some time ago, in the beginning, of some of the first episodes of this thing that we recorded, I think I told you that there were two things I was staying away from, golf and jazz. Do you remember me saying that? I, yeah. OK. Well, I've stayed away from golf, got heavy into jazz... And uh, it's done exactly what I was afraid it would do. Once you get going down that rabbit hole, it's. Um... But this is something that's been on the uh, on on the stack next to the turntable recently. And when I heard it, it was just this moment of wow. This is this is different, and it, and it connected a lot of things for me. Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. Are you familiar with this? Oh, yeah, the 1973 uh, release. I think it's you know it's, it's it's a moment where it went into fusion. So the, so you've got this heavy just funk with with the the foundation of, of the jazz. You know, I'm looking here. Allmusic.com says uh, drawing heavily from Sly Stone, Curtis Mayfield, and James Brown, Hancock developed deeply funky, even gritty rhythms. Over which he soloed on electric synthesizers and then bringing the instrument to the forefront in jazz. So I have, I have been just learning a lot and taking the deep dive on like jazz history and getting back into some, um, into some early recordings and then and just, I mean, so much. To, it's a, yeah. just a different world when you come from like a lot of the rock stuff that we, yeah. that I kind of grew up on and, and, and would, would study. Hearing this, and in particular the the track that I heard, uh, Watermelon Man, uh, the second track on the record, four tracks total, um, six minutes and 32 seconds, just, I, when I heard this, it changed, and I heard it on, um, I think I first heard it on like Sirius XM's jazz, real jazz, and it just stuck out from everything else. It just stuck out, and it was one of those. So for for Herbie Herbie Hancock, who's had a lot of these moments in in that career, right. but this to me is just I don't know. He's had so many of those. What I so many, many careers. Inflection, of, uh, inflection points. I don't know if that's the right term for for this. But I think like what maiden voyage is another one, um, and then and then of course I didn't realize this, but he had a what is that, like a hip-hop hit in the 90s? Probably. It's funny to, to read, when I read this little uh, bit in this review about how it was, you know, a lot of the jazz purists, of course, were like, oh, oh yeah. Right, right, which you run into that almost all.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, any art form, you're right. There's Dylan always...
1: going electric, you think. And, you know, and again, I wonder, I don't know if that's what we're looking at with this situation with the, um, with the uh, generative art, AI, and and art I don't know if we'll look back and go oh you know we were so mired in this uh, in the uh, rigidity of conceptual rigor or I don't know I don't know you know Miles
2: Davis same thing caught you know a lot of grief for some of his twists and turns or when he tried to keep up with rock you know Bitches Brew and Masterpiece
1: to some and to others there's but uh this the, and, and that actually came up, uh, re- I'm reading a book on Coltrane right now, taking Coltrane's, um, it's a, oh man, I don't have it, but I'll post it in the notes. It's, um, it's, it's, it's an analysis of the sound and how it evolved over time, where, what Coltrane's sound was and how it evolved and then how it impacted others. And parallel, you're watching Dave, uh, Davis, Miles Davis's career and yeah, those moments that he had
2: yeah, I, I kind of I, I kind of checked out with him with Bitches Brew. It's kind of did you Fusion's not my thing so much. Billy Cobham and I mean they're all amazing players, yeah. uh, but um, I mean you like it's like kind of like what Rush is to you know rock on some levels, you know. It's like and I like Rush, but um, but every, you know, I mean the jazz is such a big tent. You but, know, yeah. And, to, and there's so many, you know, eras, and and everyone's, you know, you. The great thing about music, right, is you just dive in somewhere and just see where it kind of takes you. But uh,
1: yeah, no, um, that is.
2: I certainly, I, I've, I've really grown to appreciate jazz over the years, and, um, and those records just sound amazing. They do. They do. They sound. Like that Muddy Waters that you turned me on to has that sound where it's, you know, like one or two microphones and it's the sound of the uh, people playing in a room. Mm -hmm. And it's the room. And um, so like those older Miles records or West Montgomery, culture like all that stuff just sounds to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I could, if you close my eyes, I feel like I could be in a club hearing this. Yeah. And I don't have a $15,000 Stereo, oh yeah, totally. You know, yeah. but it's uh, it's like wow, and like you know, and then what? Everything we're listening to these days, especially, is so engineered and down to every measure, every beat.
1: Yeah, everything's
2: mm-hmm. maximized, and it just it's too much. Like
1: there's no breath in it. Absolutely, it's like it sucks the very life and character out of it.
2: I did uh, I did feel we had a couple of big? Uh, well, it's happening more and more now that. Luminaries are passing, but uh, I thought it was uh, interesting. Tom Verlaine passed away. Yes. uh, That's that record. I listen to that a lot in here. Um, And David Crosby, who another one, like, personality-wise is tough, you know, but uh, I have to at least respect his place and what he has contributed. But um, I felt like when I heard that news, though, like that was one of those where time stopped for a second. And I'm not sure what... You know, I'm not going to dig too deep in that, but it was one of those where I was uh, like, yeah. wow, David Crosby. Because he just, yeah. that guy's had, you know, nine lives, oh. nine hard lives. But, uh, which again, I always play that game and I still think it's going to be like when, I'm wondering what's going to be like when Dylan, I know, Cartney, I know, like some of these people. I think I it's going to be.
1: I'm going to go to total radio silence when that happens. Because oh, because then all of them. Oh. When everyone starts glomming oh, on to their, doing gosh. their own. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, have you seen David Crosby's comments on drugs? I don't know where I saw this. I think it was on an Instagram reel, and it was um, oh his comments on drug use and writing. Oof. And whoever it was is saying, "How did you know how how did drugs impact the writing, and, and did it you know inspire you know?" Because everybody wants to think that that. And he's and absolutely now he was adamant that it only got in the way, and that at this point in his career. He own. He knew no serious writers that were. Yeah. That because it just takes your eye off the ball.
2: I yeah. I, I agree. I th- I'm sure there was a moment or two. I think you get with any any stimulant. I'm sure that could help, but uh, I think age conspires and. Uh, but yeah, yeah. You look around. Like who's who's doing good work that continued. You know. I mean, Grateful Dead. Hell no. You yeah. know. I mean. You just, you see it time and time again. Uh, apparently he was a, uh, is it prodigious? Uh, Twitterer. Is it a Twitterer? But apparently Crosby did a, just a ton on Twitter. What? Tweeting? Yeah. David Crosby? Yeah. I didn't know that. Like, just, and apparently it was quite, you know, quite witty. and Really? Good at. Yeah. Well, I missed that. Uh, I don't, I don't. I took, I don't, so I took a long, long I don't break take, from Twitter. I've never been, I don't do it at all. I just...
1: It's been fascinating I'm to me sure getting re engaged because it mainly because you get a lot of that crypto uh, culture there and uh, the NFT thing for whatever reason. Twitter oh, is, I, a, I get it, and so that's it's nice to be part of that conversation sure. lately. And I,
2: I just I'm finding to you know, again, like my going analog, I back to a watch. I'm gonna get go a mm. sundial <laughs> next. That's gonna be, uh... <laughs> oh, and shirts with no buttons. I'm going Amish.
1: Shorts with no buttons? Shirts with oh. no buttons. I don't
2: Shirts need all this. No, oh, you're just going knit, I I polo. I think no, don't, oh. they, they have like a clasp kind of... Shorts with no... Huh? Amish, they don't wear buttons. I didn't it's know It's flashy. That, really?
1: Yeah, I think it's like too much adornment. Amish come up quite a bit in our conversation. I know. I think yeah. I
2: have a... Uh, I think I should have been... Should have been Amish.
1: Well, there are highlights on our Instagram at Brain Fuzz podcast, And then uh, also, just to say thanks to... A couple of people. Um, Craig Drennan, it was great to spend that time with him and his opening at Freight and Volume. Nick at Freight and Volume. Was, it was a delight to finally get to know Nick. Great turnout,
2: and, uh, and it was great to see so many uh, Atlanta, current Atlanta residents, former Atlanta residents, uh, and all points in between, you know, whether people from, you know, grad school or whatever. It just was an interesting... Little, on a cold, you know, what? December night and uh, to celebrate uh, a truly um, impressive, you know, body of work and uh, and career in terms of, of
1: Craig. We've got some cool things planned and uh, I've got a few things that I, I want to introduce uh, that I haven't told you about, Joe, so, um, but we've got some, we've got a couple of folks, uh, they've been on the list for a while. <laughs> and uh and some new ones i think that we'll be able to work out. oh yeah so i'm looking good, forward to it. it's gonna be great all right
0: find show notes and links at brainfuzzpodcast.com engage in the dialogue via instagram at brainfuzzpodcast or hashtag anywhere on social with brainfuzzpodcast ai support provided by play.ht and Melabytes. Thanks to our listeners, our donors, patrons, partners, communities, supporters and stakeholders everywhere.
2: Who's counting? Right.